Hey homebodies, it's Robin and Molly and we're here to remind you that if you're looking to buy a home or refinance to be sure to check out our platinum sponsor Aaron Schmitz with Epic Mortgage. Aaron is licensed in Minnesota and Wisconsin and is a top lender in the area. You can find his information on our website homeiswherethemurderis.com in all our show notes and on all of our social media platforms. Again, if you're looking for the best in lending, check out Aaron Schmitz with Epic Mortgage. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Robin. And this is... Home is where the murder is. Well, howdy doody. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. good. It's too hot for my liking. Yeah. It's Just I'm normal. starting out hot with that hot take with the weather because it's really hot. And it was like a high of 87 today and it's October 1st. And that is not okay. Not okay. So I'm starting right away with that. I'm done with it. If anyone, you should know me by now. Not okay. Not okay Not with okay it. Not okay with the weather. Not okay with the weather. We had our fall festival in Mount Horeb this weekend. You're out walking. You're, the, there's this really cute booth that had like fall clothing, like shackets. Shackets? Well, yeah. What's a shacket? It's like a shacket. You no, I, can you explain what a shacket is? A shacket. Is? Okay. Well, a shacket is like a shirt jacket. A shacket. I have never heard that before. Stop it. No, you stop it. That You okay. just made it up. No, I did, absolutely did not. A shacket. Everyone else has heard of a shacket. That is the most ridiculous thing you've ever said. Everyone else. Please back me up. There's Everyone else has heard of, has heard of a shacket before. Yeah. Okay. Anyways. So people were in shackets. No, they weren't wearing them. They oh. couldn't try them on. It was too hot. That's my point. <laughs> no one was wearing the shackets. Well. Because it was too hot. I'm sorry. So it was... So I had to turn the air conditioning back on on October 1st, and I'm not okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that's wow. how I am. Wow. And I was so tired this week because earlier in the week, it was just like a rainy week too. So that like put me in like this like not gloomy mood, but just like a tired mood. So I was just like tired all week. So like Tuesday night, I had some like chicken pot pie soup and fell asleep really early on the couch I've been like working on my case all week too. It took me a while. This is like a buckle up, everyone. This is this is like a Brittany Murphy length case. <laughs> so you're in for a treat. And I could have like taken this like double the length if I wanted to, but I had to work on our live case murder too. Um, so I couldn't really keep deep diving into this, but I could. But there is so much more information out there about this case. So if you really want to deep dive into this, you can. But yeah, so that was my Tuesday night. What did you do Tuesday night, Robin? Oh, way to set me up there, pal. <laughs> I had, so it's funny because I had such a great week. Was it different than mine? Way different. So weird. I ran around in my underwear at a vacant water park. Yeah, I did not do that. Yeah, I did that. I, what started off as just a normal trip up to Wausau, Wisconsin, uh huh, ended with me. Drunk in a vacant water park. Great, 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 great. Uh, it's all about who you meet, folks. It sure uh, is. I went I'm not have, meeting those people. <laughs> I went to go apparently. have a beer and I met some really cool people that had access to a water park that is being redone. 
And they let me in, and I was a 13-year-old child running around that place like it was my first time out since I escaped the loony bin. You're like, woohoo! I mean, and I didn't have a swimsuit, and there's a pool and a hot tub, so yeah. I just did what any girl would do, and I just went in my uh, bra and underwear. Why not? Why not? And I th- I'm 37 years old, a uh, single mom, and that is what I did on Tuesday. Yep. But I had the time of my life, and then it took me two days to get over that hangover, so... Understandably, because you are fun. 37, yeah. like you said. Yeah. So I had... We don't, we don't bounce back like we're 23 anymore. Yeah. Yep, so... But, you know, I'm in the process of opening another office up in Wausau, so I was just introducing myself to the community, so... They're like, this lady, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Yep, so... Yeah, but it's been great. Uh, I also went on a date yesterday. Uh, How was that date? It was fine. It was fine. Match made in heaven? I don't think so. No. I don't think so. I Aww. just very nice guy. Just not for me. So That's I, too I'm bad. a lot, you know, and you gotta be able to hang and I just didn't see it there. So No. But very nice guy. I'm sure he'll make someone very happy someday. Just not me. Because maybe I, I would not be happy. But yeah. Um but, great but hey, you tried. Yep. That's all that matters. Put myself out there. I put myself out there and I ended up at a water park and on a bad date. So I shouldn't say bad date. He wasn't, it wasn't a bad date. It was just fine. Yeah. He took me out for a nice dinner and everything. But you know, when you know, when you know it's not your person, you just know. Right. Well, and especially at this age, probably. You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. You've been on enough dates and Whoa. been, you've been, you've been with enough people, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. So I mean, at this point, anyone that listens to us knows that. You're the married one. You've got your life under control. I'm still figuring it out. But yeah. you know what? That's what makes us fun. So. I mean. Sure. Again, different Tuesday night. Yes. So. But yeah. So uh, our live shows this week. Holy moly. It sure is. I'm excited. It's going to be pretty big. I mean, this is a small town, but people have really come together. I'm really excited. Yeah. Your um, husband's super excited too. So. I know. It's going to be really fun. It's at Matt's Bar, Driftless Social, and he's pumped. He's he's excited to see everybody come out. And yeah. I think he's a little shocked how many people came out for us and everything. Yeah. So, but yeah. I think it's great. I, I I'm just, I'm, and then I've been, we've been asked to do another one in Milwaukee where I live ish. Yeah. Uh, so that might be our next stop if you guys are interested. So, you know, if you want to see more live shows, you got to let us know and we'll. I know. And we'll probably do another one at our family's bar oh, yeah. too, maybe in the future. Yeah. Maybe um, we can do a, a holiday one like Christmas time. Yeah. Oh, and I, there are some good holiday cases. So, oh, yeah. if, so if Matt and Tim will let us have another one. <laughs> we'll see how this one We'll goes, see right? if they'll let us have another one. Oh, I love um, it. But, I mean, hey, if it's another random night, you know, if it maybe once food is coming, I swear, yeah, right. um, once the food <laughs> is there. But maybe it'll be a night that we aren't serving and we're yeah. not open or something. Yeah. So. so, Well, I know you have a long case for us, and I'm excited to hear like it. Like I said, I sure do. So, uh, without further ado, why don't you just get right into it? All right. So, like I hinted at last week. Hinted? You flat out told I told us. you. I told you what I was doing just to kind of get everyone excited. Um, so, I'm doing the Amityville Horror Murders and the Hauntings that followed. Um, so, most people have heard about this. It's one of the most famous um, hauntings, basically, in America. Hauntings, I'll say it like that. You can kind of, you can see me doing that. Now, so, we're recording a video. I... It, 
should hopefully be up on YouTube. We're going to try to figure that out. Yeah, one step at a time. We recorded One step it. at a time. We're not sure if it's going to work out, but yeah. we'll see what happens. So, we're, so right now we're recording a video. We'll see if it gets up on YouTube. We'll find out. Um, but the, the, it's... Um, yeah, so <laughs> we'll see. So maybe you'll see my movements. I move a lot. I, I hope so because I want people to see what I get to see every time that we record yeah, an episode because right? she really talks with her hands. I do talk with my hands a lot. So um, so I so I was listening to a lot of podcasts about this. I read a lot of articles. There's a lot of documentaries out there too. There's just so much information that you can consume about this case. So I tried my best to take in as much as I could in the time that I had to bring this to you guys. But there, like I said, there's so much information out there about this. So if this is a really interesting case to you, please go out and listen to more, read more about it. So, okay. All right. So most people have heard about the Amityville Horror. Like I said, it's yep. a very famous case. A lot of people don't know the entire twisted story behind one of the most famously haunted houses in America, though, and how it supposedly got to be that way. The Amityville Horror has been adapted into 27 different movies at the time of this recording, sequels and prequels included, but have, some have no connection other than the name, and there have been numerous books written about it, including one of the most famous and the original with the same name, The Amityville Horror by American author Jay Anson, which was published in September 1977. Many people know about George and Kathy Lutz, who were famously haunted at 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, Long Island, New York. But we are going to start at the beginning with the DeFeo. See, I have to, that's what I was like, DeFeo. She she I want to say DeFeo for some why? reason. It, I don't know why, but it's the, the, the DeFeo family. For some reason, their story is sometimes only touched upon when talking about the house. They were the original owners who lived in the house that seems to hold such a fascination with society. It's the house that was haunted and the demonic forces that were present, or was it one person that committed such monstrous and sinister crime and everything that followed that seemed to fall like dominoes into line and the people played along and wanted to believe what they wanted to believe? So by the end of this, there really won't be a clear answer, unfortunately, but hopefully you'll have kind of formed your own opinion and maybe heard some new information and some new facts. So let's dive in. So the house was built by a couple named John and Catherine Monahan, and it was um, built in 1924, and they lived in the house for many years. Then in 1965, the home was sold by their family to the DeFeo family, which consisted of Ronald DeFeo Sr. and Louise DeFeo and their five children, Ronald Jr., nicknamed Butch, which is what I'll be referring to him in this story. Basic story. It's a story. <laughs> the story. This little this little nighttime story. Um, so Butch, Dawn, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew. The DeFeos had actually moved from Brooklyn where Ronald Sr. had been working at Louise's family's car dealership as a service manager. When they moved to Long Island and bought their new home, they had high hopes. So that's what they named their home, which is sort of weird to me. Um, I we, know. Are we supposed to be naming our homes? Well, that's what I, I, I know some people like name their cars and stuff, but they name their, their house 
high hopes. Okay, well, in that case, I'm naming my house Letdown. It's a, such a letdown. <laughs> because. Yeah. And also, what an awful name for this home. <laughs> Let's just say they did not name this home very well. So, uh, so that's what they named their home. Sort of weird, I said. Ronald Sr. was not a kind and loving family man like his outward appearance in the public eye might have ap- appeared. I said appeared twice, but that's okay. At home, he was verbally and physically abusive towards Louise and his children and especially took it out on their oldest son, Ronald Jr., like I said, Butch. So from now on, I'll be saying Butch. Well, obviously, Butch. he took it out on him. His name is Butch. Butch. Well, yeah. Ronald Sr. would hit both Louise and Butch, and this was witnessed by even Butch's friends, so he didn't really care who saw his rage. Wow. His one friend, Barry Springer, described their home as a crazy house, that they were always yelling at each other. Butch was overweight, so his father got on him about that at home, but he was also bullied at school for that, and his father encouraged him to stand up to those bullies at school and to fight back. Which is kind of strange considering what he had to come home to. Well, yeah. And then if I were going to stand up to somebody, I'd stand up to that asshole that you're calling your dad. So it's like he's getting bullied at home, but then he's getting bullied at school and his dad's telling him to stand up to the bullies. It's like, what? Yeah, I'd I'd learn how to stand up to them and then come home and stand up to my dad Right. So it was kind of a weird situation. So all around, he's like being told to fight, basically. And to kind of, yeah. Great parenting. Right. Not good parenting. Because of this encouragement and constant fighting both at home and at school, as Butch grew up, his anger eclipsed his father's and they would often fight and get into physical fights with each other. It seemed as though Butch couldn't control his temper and he would just go into a rage for no reason at all. His parents were so concerned they even sent him to a psychiatrist. This failed, however, so they did the next thing they thought would help. They just gave him whatever he wanted in life. So wait a second. Ronald was concerned that his son needed psychiatric help. Yep. But yet he was the one that was abusing him. I don't get the logic there. Like, what did you think he was going to grow up to be? It was, you know, the 60s. Early 70s. It makes me surprised that my parents turned out as But I mean, you know what I mean? It was like that time period. You know what I mean? It's a weird, it was a weird time period. But yeah. So... They basically rewarded him for his awful behavior. They even gave him a speedboat. That seems like a good thing to give someone with a rage issue. Mm. Yeah. I I mean, if I, if I get a rage issue, will I get a boat? I don't think so. No. The Ronalds continued to fight both verbally and physically, but Ronald Sr. just tried to keep his son happy by giving him material things. As you can imagine, this didn't work for Butch, and he was asked to leave Amityville High School at the age of 17. He then turned to drugs, with LSD and heroin being his main drugs of choice. This only further fueled his rage issues and made him even more unpredictable and violent. Ugh. So, not looking good for Butch. No, not at all. When he was 18, he began working for his father's family's car dealership, so his family's car dealership, doing oil changes and other service work. It didn't matter, however, if Butch actually came to work or even worked when he was there. He was given a paycheck no matter what. Remember, they just wanted to keep him happy. He took full advantage of working for his family, and people knew that Butch could just basically do whatever he wanted to do. They knew that he was uh, okay and usually pretty nice guy, 
you know, overall, his friend said he was okay, but when he drank, he wasn't so nice. His girlfriend from back then, Sherry Klein, said one time when Butch and a group of friends came over to her place, they became too loud, and when she tried to quiet them down, he shoved her across the room and into a wall. She then exited the apartment through a window and then went to her parents. So yeah, violence and rage I hope she broke up with him right then and there. You know she didn't. Because, again, just that time period, right? Mm. Another time, Ronald Sr. asked Butch to make a $20,000 deposit for the business, and it was never made. Shocking. Weird, right? I don't know why you would give him that responsibility. Honestly. I mean, (laughs) seriously. When asked what happened, Butch said the money was stolen. I don't know. Yeah, by you, you dumb shit. Obviously, Ronald Sr. did not believe him. When the police asked Butch about it, he was very uncooperative and even became violent. Probably not a good thing to do when you're being questioned by the police. Right. So. So. I'm already exhausted just by hearing about what Butch has been up to. Yeah, so that's Butch in a nutshell. So just. (laughs) That's Butch in a nutshell. Butch in a nutshell. That's not like a new term. I don't know what is. Yeah. So on November 13th, 1974, Butch, who was 23 at the time, left early for work and stopped at a luncheonette to pass the time. What? A luncheonette. Yeah. So like a little like, I, I, it's like a little like diner place. Okay. Yeah. He then left work early and met up with Sherry, his girlfriend, and a friend, Bobby Cleese. That whole day, he kept complaining that he couldn't get in touch with his family, which was strange, and no one was answering the phone, but their cars were in the garage. He even called his house while in front of Sherry, you know, just to make sure to show that he was trying to get a hold of them. 6 p.m. came around, and he was at a local bar called Henry's Bar, and he still couldn't get a hold of them. So, wait a second. So... He's trying to get a hold of them. He mm-hmm. can't get a hold of them, but he knows that their cars are in the garage. Yes. And during that entire time, he doesn't think, even when he's outside the house trying to get a hold of them, he doesn't think to go inside and look for them. Right. Already suspicious. It's all very suspicious. Yes. So at this point, it's been all day. And remember, he works for his family's car dealership, too. Mm-hmm. So it's his family's car dealership. Mm-hmm. So he goes to work. He's at work. He's like, it's weird. I can't get a hold of the family. Yeah. So, yeah. So at this point, like I said, it's been all day. He said he was going to run home and break a window to go inside. So, like I say here, which if it's your family, don't you have a key or know where maybe a key is to get inside? Or don't they have one at the office? Like, why would you have to break a window to get inside your family's house? Yeah, Butch, I'm not sure about this. Like, even if you don't live there, that's fine. But, like, you have no way to get inside your family's house. Yeah. I'm calling bullshit. Like, that's very strange. Totally. So at 6 o'clock, he leaves Henry's bar to go do this. At 6.30, he comes running back into Henry's bar, yelling that his parents have been shot. (gasps) Are you shocked? So shocked. So a group of his friends who are at the bar that night leave to go back to his house with him, and they find not only his parents are shot, but also his four siblings. Oh. His His entire family was dead. Everyone was found dead in their beds, shot and still in their pajamas. So his friend Joseph called the police. It's always interesting how the whole family dies except for one person. Right. So I think he did it. I mean. (laughs) 
I mean, most people know this story. Yeah, well, so, I it mean. It wasn't looking good for him. It wasn't looking good for Butch from the beginning. Let's just say that. Yeah. The deputy chief medical examiner would later say the cause of death was bleeding to death from gunshot wounds, which is, we could yeah. guess. Yeah. The murder weapon was a thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle. Ronald Sr., who was 43 at the time, and Louise, who was also 43, were each shot twice. Ronald Sr. was shot in the lower back twice where one of the bullets exploded into his kidney and exited through his nipple and the other bullet entered through the base of his spine and was lodged into his neck. The bullets on Louise entered the right flank pane, which is the right side back just below the rib cage and above the waist and her chest. One of the bullets landed on the mattress and one of them came out of the middle of her chest and then went back into her body through the left breast and wrist. The bullets ended up shattering her rib cage and shattered bones and destroyed most of her right lung, diaphragm, and liver. She was found face down, but her chest was raised a bit from the bed and the body was also turned to the right just slightly. So she could have been alive for up to 10 minutes, they think, after being shot, according to the medical examiner. Since her body was turned the way it was, it also indicates that there could have been a, um, that she was probably the second person that was shot since her body was turned towards the door and also kind of toward the person who was shooting at them. Well, yeah, you got to take out the strongest of the, yeah. of the group first. So she probably heard the shot, shot. And then kind of like turned a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's disgusting. Everything you just said was gross. Thank you. You're welcome. There's more. Super. Yep. The children, Don, Allison, Mark, and John Matthew, were each shot once. So okay. in total, there's four bullets. I okay. mean, there were four yep. bullets for the children and four bullets for the parents. Okay. So eight bullets total. I, yep. Got that. Mark 12 and John 9 were both shot in the back at close range. It's thought the killer stood between the boys' beds since they shared the room less than two feet away and shot them both. The bullets went through the boys' liver, diaphragm, and lungs and heart for both of them and then right through their mattress and box spring. John's spinal cord was also severed. Next, Allison, who was 13, was shot one time in the face and from also less than two feet away. Ooh. The bullet went into her left cheek and then moved to her right ear. Oof. It went into her brain and damaged her skull. As the bullet exited, exited, it went through her mattress and hit the wall and landed on her bedroom floor. Lastly, Dawn, who was 18, was shot once in the back of her neck from about two and a half feet away. It entered from below her left ear and went through her left temple and into her pillow. It caused the left side of her face to completely collapse. Oof. So that's rough. Yeah. So that's that. Thanks. Yeah. So I just want to make it clear. So there's separate rooms here. A couple of the kids were in the same room together. Dawn was in a separate room. Allison was in a separate room. The two boys were in the same room and the parents were in the same room. So that's four separate bedrooms. Okay. Eight bullets total. So just keep that in mind. I hate math. Math. Obviously, the person who discovered the scene and the only living member of the family left was questioned by police. Butch said that he had stayed home from work the day before this happened because he was sick with an upset stomach. He woke up around 4 a.m. and saw his brother Mark's wheelchair, who had injured himself playing football, outside the bathroom and the bathroom light on, but Butch was 
rested and stayed home the day before. So he decided to start his day early that day and went to the luncheonette and went to work for the day where he proceeded to leave work early because, I mean, he doesn't like work anyways, and met up with his girlfriend and some friends as well after work. And then he went to Henry's bar. Yeah, no. So that was his day. No. So he's saying he left work really early, you know, left for work really early that day. And which his family con- was all which fine. Is convenient. Right. So when convenient. Your whole family is killed. Exactly. You're, you're not there. It's interesting. Right. So Butch was devastated that his entire oh. family had been murdered, but he had a theory of his own who might have done this. Okay. A man named Louis. Louis Fellini, who was a mafia hitman. Louis and his family had actually lived with the DeFeo family a few years back when their house had burned down in Brooklyn. Butch claimed that Louis had a key to the DeFeo's house and that when he lived there with them, he buried a box of money and jewels, you know, as one does. When you go to live with someone, you you bury a box of money and jewels. Right. So let me get this straight. The guy that no longer lives with the family has a key, but the guy that lives there with his family does not. Yep. Absolutely. Cool. Yep. Also, Butch being who he was, claimed to have had a violent and rage-filled argument with Lewis after he had moved out of their family home. It was over some work that Butch had done on one of their uh, one of his cars. Butch said that he actually threw a brush at him and it broke a window and there were some words exchanged. And it was only after this argument that his father told Butch that Lewis was a professional hitman and that he had no idea what he had just done. Ugh. So. Okay. Also remember that $20,000 that was stolen, quotation marks, when Butch was taking it to the bank for Ronald Sr. for work. Apparently, because of that, Ronald Sr. said that he had to worry about losing a friend in Lewis and that he would have to watch out for Ma and the kids. So whatever that all had meant to the family and them. There was some truth to all of this, though. There was an actual Lewis Fellini, however you say that, and he was tied to the mob. And he did get angry at the DeFeo family. And did he murder six people and not actually murder the person that he had a fight with? Yeah, no. Not happening. That didn't happen. That that doesn't make any sense at all. Why would he murder an entire family and not murder the person that he actually had a fight with? Right. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So. Especially when the guy that you they had a fight with is such a, a prick. Right. So, but they did take Butch into protective custody right when they heard this story just because Ugh. they didn't know what, you know, Yeah. police were doing what they do. They just, you know, they were... I don't know. If I were a cop, I would have been real damn suspicious. No kidding. But. While talking to the police, Butch also told the police about his past criminal history, which like they didn't already know, including he had broken into neighbors' homes and stolen some stuff and his continued drug use. It's like, yeah, dude, yep. we know. Yeah. Like not, not, you know, this isn't a secret. Jesus. And yes, he was still using drugs, even though he's supposed to be clean and on probation. Dawn, his sister, was providing him with urine for when he had to give samples. Well, so why did he kill her? She was useful. I don't know. (laughs) Repeatedly, Butch kept saying that he just wanted to be honest with the police and tell them the truth. And he kept emphasizing this almost too much. He was showing how much he was cooperating with them. If he was being this honest about all of this other stuff, including his continued drug use, saying, yes, I'm still using drugs. Mm -hmm. Of course, he's being honest about the murders, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when Butch's grandfather, 
Michael Briganet Sr. eventually arrived along with his son-in-law, Vincent Pro. She Procisa, killing Pro, it. Procisa. There. There's some names, you guys. He confirmed that he did know this Lewis guy, this mob hitman guy, and said he was a great guy, but didn't know where he lived or how to get a hold of him, a hold of him, and didn't believe that he committed the murders. But he also said that his grandson Butch was a wonderful person. And he was very proud of him, and again, didn't believe at all that he could have been the one who committed the murders, even though he knew about his past criminal history, including his drug use. But let's be proud of him. So proud. Jesus. His grandfather has some blinders on. Honestly. So, while searching the home, the police found um, the thirty-five caliber Marlin rifle case, the murder weapon, like what the murder weapon would have been in. Um, so they're like, this is suspicious. And they oh, also yeah. found, um, they did eventually the, well, shut my mouth, actually. Just right. <laughs> okay. I almost was going to say something. I have to say a little bit in the future. The police also learned that Butch was someone that had a lot of interesting guns and had been researching and looking up into purchasing a silencer in the weeks leading up to the murders. So that's some interesting information. It is. Um, with this information... And knowing that Butch was still using drugs and had a rage issue, and you know, just Butch, Butch was kind of a shifty fellow. <laughs> shifty, yeah. You know I mean, really, they're like, I don't know about this guy. Please, you know, kind of moved their investigation over to Butch. Okay. Butch ca- still kept insisting that they needed to finding, keep looking into this this hitman guy. Like this guy yeah. did it. I don't know why you're looking at me. Look at this guy. But the police were pretty much overlooking into him. I mean, they didn't have any info on him and they couldn't know how to find him anyways. So they kept questioning Butch about his family, asking if he ate dinner with his family the night before. And his answer was no, because his mother Louise was a lousy cook and that she made some brown shit in a bowl for dinner and he wasn't going to eat it. Like, what? He continued to bad talk his family and really had nothing good to say about them. That's. Interesting. The police are like, excuse me, sir? <laughs> like, your family that was just killed? Like, weren't you wow. just so sad? But so Right. So, not really what a concerned surviving family member who's trying to find the murderer should be doing. Right. He then also said his brothers were fucking pigs who always left messes in the bathroom. Well. Yeah. His sister Dawn, he described as a fat fuck. Who played her music too loud? <laughs> uh-huh. Oh man! Uh-huh. Whenever, whenever he yelled at her to turn it down, his father would hit him. God, he sounds like a real dick, though. Yeah, I mean, the, I know the dad is a dick, but yeah, Butch is a dick. He didn't really have too much to say about Alice and his other sister. It's like she was just kind of there. Ah. So okay. Um. His grandfather was described by Butch as a cheap bastard who took advantage of him and stole from him any chance he got by coming in late to work and leaving early. I mean, that's exactly what Butch did. So that's super weird that he called him out on that. Yeah. Like that his grandfather would just come into the family. This is the grandfather that um, thinks that his grandson is a good kid. Good kid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the police then hit Butch with some news that they had found the murder weapon, ammo, and that they determined that the family had been murdered actually between 3 and 4 a.m. So it wasn't when he would have been at work, but rather while he would have still been at home. Uh Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. Yeah, you can imagine that made Butch change up his story. Oh, what, what did he say now? 
actually came up with many different stories of what happened that night. One was that that hitman guy, you know, yep, and his accomplice were actually the ones that did murder his family, and that. Um, that night, but Butch was there, and they made him watch and take oh, part yeah. in the murders. Yeah, because they wouldn't kill him too. Right. They they would definitely leave a witness. Yeah. Yeah. When asked if he would, if he was forced to kill any of members of his family by the men, Butch took a minute when he was asked by the police. So Butch took a minute and put his hands like down in his hand, his head down in his hands, and admitted that those guys weren't there that night at all, and that's oh. not how it happened. Oh. He then confessed to murdering his oh. family. Which I'm sure we all were assuming. I didn't see that coming at all. Yep. And the police guessed and knew at this point. Well, shit. Yep. So, yeah. So, Butch. So, why did Butch do it? So, at trial, the trial was a lot, to say the least. Butch was assigned a court-appointed attorney. His attorney, of course, tried to plead insanity, saying that he had heard voices saying his family was plotting against him. He also claimed that he was possessed. At one point, he was shown a picture of his mother and said that he didn't know who that woman in the photo even was. Oh, please, shut up. Yeah. Then he also claimed that he killed everyone in self-defense. While they were sleeping? Like his little, like, sister. Oh, come on. So this was all wild. There was a lot going on. So why did he do it? Obviously, years of abuse has its toll on someone. Yeah. That's basically, you know. Yep, I understand that. Right. Also, during his questioning, he asked police what he had to do in order to collect on his father's life insurance. Ah, there it is. This prompted the prosecution to suggest that his motive was to collect on the life insurance policies on his parents. Okay. So. And then he probably didn't want the responsibility of his siblings. Yep. So, or witnesses. Yes. Yes. So, and most of what I've listened to, basically, he needed money to support his drug habit is what it comes down to. This is what I'm, I always say. Do not do drugs. You'll end up killing your family for the money. So, I always say my, my guess is that he was on a bad drug bender. You know what I mean? Like, he was just... Seriously. Needed money like, for drugs. I, the last one I did on Adam Moss, same thing. Yep. Killed all of you well, just yeah the drugs yeah like you gotta get the money for the drugs yeah and it doesn't matter and then what you end up you killing somebody yeah. right just nuts yeah one thing to note though is he knew what he was doing remember how he was trying to make sure to show how much he was trying to get a hold of his family that day that they were murdered telling everyone that he couldn't get a hold of them yeah also when he confessed to the murders he admitted that he got rid of evidence this shows that he was aware of what he had done, and it also shows some planning. Absolutely. So they found the gun actually in the um, water behind the house. The water. The water. I can't think Is of the... Is it like a pond, maybe? No, it's like, the, like a, um, a cha- lake? the channel or the waterway. There's a channel. Okay. Gosh, I can't think of that. I did not write down the, yeah, I, that's okay. the word of the water. I interested in what kind of body of water we were yes. talking about. So I can't... I can't... The bay. Bay. I think it's a bay. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So psychiatrist Daniel Schwartz supported the insanity plea, but Dr. Harold Zolan countered on behalf of the prosecution. Dr. Zolan said that although DeFeo was a user of heroin and LSD, he had an antisocial personality disorder and was aware of his actions at the time of the crime. Yeah. 
I'm sorry. I think I've yawned like six times already. I don't know what's going on over here. We're halfway through. You better buck up, oh, lady. Oh, Louise. Needs <laughs> a cup of coffee. In the end, Butch was found guilty of six counts of second-degree murder in November 1975. He was sentenced to six sentences of 25 years to life. He did end up filing many appeals and requests to the parole board. All were denied. Good. Don't worry. You know how I feel about I do know how board. you feel about that. Um, so that was in 77, you said? Se- 75. 75. And he was, what, 17? 23. <laughs> Hello? I, I made up my own numbers. You're just here. making up your own story. So is he still in jail then at this point? Or is he? He's dead. Oh, he died. Okay. He died. Sorry. Sorry. Didn't mean to jump the gun. I was just trying jump to do the, the math. Gun. And we know I don't like math. So. No, you do not. No, yeah. He died. I mean, he would never be getting out. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Well, all right. Another one bites the dust. <clears throat> yeah. While he spent his time in prison, he kept on coming up with more stories, however. Oh. Because it's, you know, what else does he have to do sure. there? Sure. He's like, what else can yeah. I do? One of them was that his mother, Louise, was actually the murderer. And he took the fall for her because he didn't want to upset his grandfather by letting him know the truth. Oh. You know. What a soldier. What a saint. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. What a guy. And, it, and and very impressive that she could kill herself in the manner she did. No kidding. After killing her entire family. She's like a magician. So crazy. She's really good. Honestly. Another story was that there was a demonic female figure in his home that handed him the gun. Well, you're still the one that pulled the trigger. Whoever handed to you is just... Right. Just a fixture. Right. He also admitted that he was under the influence of drugs at the time of the murders, and he also admitted that he was heavily drinking a fifth of scotch daily in addition to taking drugs at the time the murders took place. Don't care. Don't right. care. Oh, I don't care either. You know, but we, we, And like also, well, duh, Butch, we, that, this yeah, is why you killed your yeah, family. We, we know, know this. We know that. Like, But you putting the drugs in your system is you guilty. Right. You putting alcohol in your system and getting behind the wheel and killing somebody, you're guilty. Right. Simple as that. Butch said his behavior during that time of his life was out of control, and his friend Barry Springer said that he was an outright junkie. I keep wanting you to say Jerry Jerry Springer, Springer. yeah, but but you can't. Yeah. So that's interesting to me that he's got all these excuses for what he did, because he's got all the time in the world, and to say that that was a messed up time in his life or whatever, it's like, if you would have gotten away with this... You wouldn't be saying any of this. Right. And I'm not even through like the most, the one, not that they're, this one doesn't have the most backing. I mean, this is the one that has the most support almost. Okay. So he also said that Dawn, his oldest sister, was the killer and that he ended up killing her in self-defense. No. Right. I don't believe it. Was she dead in her bed too? Yes. Wasn't the 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 bullet on her pillow or something? Right, right, right. Yeah. During a prison interview, he said that his entire family wasn't supposed to be killed, that his father was the only one who had to go. He was planning on hiring someone to kill him. The night of the murders, however, he told Dawn, however, that if he wanted to kill, if she wanted to kill their parents just to go ahead and do it. He gave her the gun and said it was all ready to go and just to pull the trigger. He said that she shot both of their parents and that he left the house and that when he came back, their other siblings were also dead. Then when he confronted her about it, she pointed the gun at him. So he fought her for the gun, and then he shot her in self-defense. There is some slight forensic evidence to support this, because Dawn did have some unburnt 
gunpowder on her night gun, which might have indicated that she fired a gun. But she could have fired a gun earlier that day. Right. I mean, who knows? Like, And either way, he's... Right. He killed somebody. You're right. You're going to deal either way. But either right. way, and then the lying about it, and whatever, she... She got the ultimate prison sentence, then if she did kill them, she's dead. Right. So, I mean, either way. And if that were the case... There's no evidence to show any signs of self-defense either. No. I think that he just cannot handle the fact that he did this, and he doesn't want anyone to think he did. So, he's going to come up with it. If if that were honestly the the absolute truth, he would have said that from the moment it happened. I know. It's very... There's just story after story after story. This guy is just ridiculous. Yeah. Another strange turn of events in a 1986 interview for Newsday, because this guy loved to give interviews. Like, you can go online and find all kinds of interviews from this guy. Gross. DeFeo said that he was married at the time of the murders to a woman named Geraldine Gates, with whom he was living in New Jersey. So remember, he also had a girlfriend. His mother phoned to ask him to return to Amityville to break up a fight between Don and their father. So he drove to Amityville with Geraldine's brother, Richard Ramondo. I don't know. We'll just call him Richard. <laughs> that is a hell of a name. Doesn't matter. This guy doesn't even exist. Like, oh. they looked him up. He's fake. So, so it, <laughs> it's a fake name. I would have used maybe something a little easier. No kidding. But. Who was with him at the time of the murders who could verify his story completely. Remember, he had a girlfriend, Sherry, at the time, too, which he was with during the day. So this is all very strange. Butch was full of a lot of stories, but this one seems to be full of a little truth, although there were plenty of firsthand accounts and documentation to show that Geraldine did have a relationship with Butch before the family's deaths in November of 1974. A marriage certificate cannot be located. Um, but Ronald Jr. or Butch's two friends, Barry and Chuck, can attest to the fact that Geraldine was Butch's wife prior to the murders, so they had some kind of common law marriage thing going on, and that she was the mother of his daughter. So that's right, he has a daughter out there. So hopefully she's doing okay. Hopefully she's normal. Hopefully she changed her name and she is out there somewhere. Golly gee. So Rick Moraine, who was a journalist, gave an interview saying that years after the murders, a DEA agent had contacted him and said that the agent had the DeFeo home under surveillance. While under surveillance, he saw a young woman who was dressed in a dark hooded winter jacket leave the house that night of the murders who had on dark gloves. She also threw a rifle into her car and drove away. This sounds like that demonic woman with black hands that Butch had talked about. But again, okay. they can't find this person to confirm this. Uh-huh. Brian, and why would they be doing <clears throat> surveillance of the home? Right. I, again, where this came from. Right. Moraine also believes that it's possible that Dawn could have killed the family and that Butch killed her then. He was actually on the scene with other reporters the night of the murders and overheard the grandfather talking to Butch. The grandfather said something to the effect that he didn't want to hear anything more about Dawn and that he was tired of him dragging the family name through the mud. He told him that he needed to needed to confess to the murders. Yeah. Whether that happened or not. Well, either way, your grandpa's probably on the same page right. we are. Like, you fucking did it. Right. Everybody knows you fucking did it. 
So Moran believes that Dawn could have been the one who committed the murders as she was a bomb ready to go off because of all the abuse she suffered in the home and outside the home as well. So forensic psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Hodge interviewed Butch for several hours and on the 2006 a special first-person killers, Ronald DeFeo, Hodge said he didn't find anything credible about the Dawn story and added, I wouldn't be able to say this was absolutely true, but it made me believe that, in fact, he had killed them. Yeah. So. Yeah, because he did. Yes. Yeah. So, basically, many things that are questioned throughout this entire story, the number one thing that's questioned, how were the gunshots not heard? Eight gunshots going off. I thought about that. How did no one hear this? They weren't, they were close to their neighbors. Yeah. So. I thought about that, but maybe they did. Maybe they sat up in their beds and were like, mm, and then he came in and killed them. So something, so, but the, how did the neighbors not hear gunshots? They heard a dog bark inside the house, but they never heard gunshots. It's so weird. I don't know. Well, did he ever end up getting the silencer? No silencer was ever found. I don't know. And then also, how did one person do this alone? Going room to room within the house? How did the kids not hear gunshots and go running out of the room to go see what was going on? They say maybe the kids were scared, so they just like froze yeah. in their beds, That's which I, I could do. see that. I would do that. Um, but also, if I was a kid and heard that, I would maybe try to hide. Yeah. I don't know. But, I, I mean, it, it's questions like you don't know. You're not in that situation. I don't so. know. I, I just feel like he's so guilty yeah. that I can't even fathom thinking about the situation, I guess, if that makes any sense. It's just like the guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. There was insurance money involved. He obviously did not care about his family at all. It's He's an easy... It's an easy... Uh, I don't want to say he's not a, he's an easy target, but it, it just all falls into place for him right. to do what he did. And I don't know. Maybe he, I don't know. Maybe he muffled the sound somehow. I don't know. Right. So then another thing comes into play. So Butch did say in an interview with the police that he gave his family all drugs to try to, you know, knock them out. But there were no drugs ever found in their system when they did any tests afterwards. So that's an interesting thing, too. So no drugs were shown into the system of any members of the family. And there were also no signs of struggle. I just feel like if there was someone else there in any way, shape, or form, he would have ratted him out. Right. Because he obviously doesn't care about anyone else but himself. Which makes you think, like, maybe you wonder, again, that's like maybe was Dawn in on it. And then he and shot maybe, her. And maybe, then yeah, maybe he put did. her in her bed or something. Who knows? I don't know. You know what I mean? So, yeah, there's that. So, um, and it does show that that they did prove that the family was killed between 3 and 4 a.m., most likely like around 3.15 a.m., which that comes into play later. Um, so, and I mean, so Louise did show the signs that she heard something. Remember how she was like kind of turned yeah. a little bit? Yeah. So that's the only one that kind of shows like any signs that they like heard something and moved even in yeah. the bed. So... There's just so many questions about this one. Like, and the yeah. main thing is, is like, how, how did no neighbor, how did no one hear any gunshots? Like if you hear something like, but a neighbor did hear their dog barking from inside the house. I don't know. But no one heard eight gunshots that well, night. 
And they okay. wouldn't have been like boom, 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 boom. Because yeah. they were different floors of the house. Yeah. I don't... It's an interesting question. It's, it is. So, so, Butch passed away on March 12th, 2021, at the age of 69, oh. at the <laughs> Sullivan Correctional Facility in Fallsburg, New York. So we will never know for sure exactly what happened that night because he's come up with 20 different stories. Yeah. So even at 69, never getting out, he couldn't just come clean and tell us how this happened. And what's interesting is they don't tell us that the cause of death is unknown. For him? Yeah. Interesting. They don't say what he died of. A lot of times they're like, can't, you know, right. like they had, they, they list what happens. Yeah. Nothing. It doesn't, it's unknown. That is very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Spooky. Yeah. So that's. Okay. Good story, Molly. Thank you. But we're not done. Oh. Ooh, the story of the house at 112 Ocean Avenue, Amityville, Long Island, New York. Doesn't end there though, folks. It must be weird to live in Amityville. I no kidding. Like, I don't know if I'd like that. I mean, just living in that yeah. town. Yeah, I don't think I like that. Yeah, just it doesn't even matter because, yeah, like even going there, the idea of going there makes me cringe. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I was in Plainfield yesterday mm-hmm. where Ed Gein was buried. I went to the Plainfield Cemetery where he would steal his victims and, or well, I mean, guess they were victims, and yeah. where he was buried. That seemed normal to me. But going to Amityville, that just creeps me out. I feel like I'm going to come home with something. I go to Amityville someday. It's different now, though. Like, the house is different and everything, which no, I'll get into. It's just but the like, name. It's yeah. the name that freaks me out. Yeah. So. All right, what more do you got? Oh, I got more for you. Okay. So, surprisingly enough, the DeFeo murders are usually just briefly talked about when mentioning the Amityville horrors and what happened in that home. I was going to say, because I actually didn't know any of that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, that, that's the thing. So, that's, most people just kind of know about, like, the hauntings of the Amityville house, yeah, right? right. So, this whole thing is the reason that the hauntings happened, is what people think. Okay. Okay, see, I must have been missing that piece. Right. right, so it's really interesting that that all took place in the home before, you know, like the actual Amityville story, like the book and the movies, yeah. isn't even based on what I just talked about. Cool. So. Look at us getting a lesson today. Right, so that's what I said. So it's kind of interesting to hear about why, what built up to all of that. Okay. So, so Yeah. It's only brought up briefly saying that, you know, a son killed his whole family and that's why the house is haunted or something along those lines. And then people get into the hauntings and the story that most people know. So I have a question real quick. I'm sorry before we go on. So he died in 2021. So all of this Amityville stuff that had come out over the years, he didn't get anything from any of that, right? I don't believe so. No, because that's that's not really his story. Okay. Okay. I was yeah, just that and the, all the Amityville stuff doesn't have to do with him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Okay. So because the Amityville horror, that's a story about the Lutz family. Okay. Ooh, this is getting good. Yeah. I hate that dark out right now, though. I'm getting kind of creeped out. That's not completely dark. You're okay. <laughs> Calm down. Calm your tits. She's a dick. Yeah. So it took 13 months of sitting on the market for the home to be sold to the Lutz family. Did they know what they were buying? 
They had looked at over 50 other homes. So when they found this one and at this price, it seemed to be too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. George and Kathy weren't aware at first of what had happened in the home, but even after being told of the massacre that had occurred just a little over a year previously, they still went through with the purchase and moved in with their three children. No. Danielle, who was nine, Christopher, who was seven, and Melissa, Missy, who was five. All three children were from Kathy's previous marriage, and they also owned a dog named Harry. Okay. The home was a bargain at the price of $80,000 for basically a small mansion. All the red flags that are going off in my head right now. Right. The home was described as a Dutch colonial style house with six bedrooms, some report it as five bedrooms, and 3.5 bathrooms, a large swimming pool, and a boathouse. Damn. Yeah. I still wouldn't buy it. Yeah. Well, they sure did. George and Kathy had gotten married in July 1975 and when they each and they each had their own homes but they wanted to start a fresh life together. So they moved their family into this new house December 18th, 1975. They were even able to buy a good portion of the DeFeo's furniture that was still there for only $400 total including the beds. I'm floored right now. First off, if, if, if that you including yeah, including the, the beds, beds that they were killed in, but like you are telling me that they walked in and they this furniture is left after this massacre, and then they even paid money, additional money for because they furniture. didn't have enough furniture to I outfit this huge house. You so sleep like, on the floor. They're like, great, what a bargain! Oh my god, yep. absolutely not. I no, I'm that part. That is where I draw the line. Yep, out. Yep. Fucking, you know what they said? All those people were killed in the beds. Oh, they sure did. You know what they said? They said in. No, they said we're in. No, not feeling so bad for this family right now. Like they had it coming. Yep. Stupidity at its. So one of yeah. So one of George's friends learned of what had happened in their home and told them that it might be a good idea to have the home blessed or burned down. Yeah. So. I'm literally getting chills. This is so gross. Yep. So George knew a Catholic priest named Father Ray who agreed to carry out the house blessing. So in the book, the real life priest was Father Ralph J. Precario. Yeah. And is referred to as Father Mercurso, Mercurso for privacy reasons. So he arrived on December 18th as George and Kathy were unpacking to perform the rites on the home. While performing those rites, he flicked the holy water and began to pray. Then he said that he heard a loud masculine voice demanding that he get out. When he left the home, he didn't mention that right away to either George or Kathy, but he did call them on December 24th to tell them about it. He told them to stay out of the second floor room where he had heard that voice. That was the bedroom that Mark and John Matthew were murdered in and the room that Kathy was planning to use as her sewing room. Their call happened to be cut short, however, by static. After his visit, the father also developed a high fever and blisters on his ha- on his hands, allegedly. No, I don't like any so. of this. I don't like any of this. Oh, soon. <laughs> okay. That's oh, all you have to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, it's a haunting. So. I know, but it like alleged. And, so and I love this stuff. You know, I'm like, so like where we are right now. I don't actually. We didn't even mention it. We moved locations. We're back in our in our old office where yeah. 
it's a very 1800s build how um, building or something like that. Yeah. So it, we're, I'm always hearing shit up here. So I love this stuff. Yeah. But there is something about this Amityville thing that just freaks me out. Like I'm, I'm not sleeping by myself tonight. I hope you realize that I'm. One of you is gonna either I'm sleeping with one of the kids or the dog, but I'm not sleeping by myself because I'm already completely freaked out. You'll be fine. Oh, you'll be fine. So. There's more. Don't worry. Soon the families all started noticing strange things in the house. Cold spots, overall feeling of dread while in the house. I have that right Doors now. being ripped off the hinges. Nope. Cabinets opening and shutting. Mm-mm. A lion statue being moved from room to room. And even ooze coming from the ceiling. Some report it as green, some as black. They also claimed to have found their dog hanging from a fence from his leash, almost dead, but they were able to save him and he survived. After that, though, the dog didn't want to enter the house. Like he had, was very weird about coming into the home. So, George, yeah. George, I have a question real quick about this house. Mm hmm. Was it built by the first family or was it already there when they It was won? already there. Remember, it was built in 1924. 1924. And there was no, no, nothing before that that anyone knows nope. about. So I did read in a report. So there was someone that passed away in the house just from an illness back way, way, way okay. back before the DeFeo yeah. family. But that was just people die in homes yeah, from no, dying. Yeah, no, I was just curious because of the bad things that keep happening in the home. Like, I wonder, I just for a second there was like, I wonder if it was before... The DeFeo family There's also too. reports that the home was built on an Indian. I was going to ask thing. that too. An Indian, Indian burial ground. So, because you know, this is like some serious shit. We actually have to ask that question when we list houses. Mm-hmm. It's part of our condition report because I that apparently is a big deal. So in one of the podcasts I listened to, one of, one of the claims as to why there was no... Um, why no one heard any bullets or any gunshots was because there was some sort of magical force field around the house because the chief of that Indian burial ground put a force field around. But the way that the reason that you could hear the dog barking was because animals have a way of breaking through that barrier. That's all a little much for me. That's why I didn't really like talk much about that. I'm like, "Eh, I don't know about that. Okay. But, um, yeah. That's so, okay. Well, I'll let you yeah. keep going because I'm putting together thoughts in my head. Yeah. And I'll do it at the end. Yeah. Nope. That. Okay. That's sorry. fine. So, yeah. But there are reports. I, I don't think that they were ever, like, proven that it was on Indian burial ground. But there's suspicions that it was. But I don't think that it was ever proven. Okay. Yes. Cool. Thank you. So, George told ABC News in 2006 there were odors in the house that came and went. There were sounds the front door would slam shut in the middle of the night. I couldn't get warm in the house for many days. George also said he would wake up every night at 3.15 a.m. <gasps> That's when the family was allegedly killed. Yeah. Ah! One night he heard a tapping but couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Then he saw the boathouse door was open and thought it was probably burglars. So he went down to shut it and no one was there. But he woke up that next night at the same time thinking maybe it was... Th- it was open for the same reason, but the boathouse was fine. And then he kept on waking up every single night at 3.15. So again, if you remember correctly, that's right around the time that the DeFeo family was murdered. 3.15 a.m. I don't like this. George's temper also became more and more short with his family. He would spend a lot of time wrapped up in blankets by the fire, shivering, complaining of being cold, muttering to himself. And he kept on spending more and more time down in that boathouse. Kathy also reported having feelings of being touched, 
like grabbed and nope. no one was there. Nope. There were also times that Kathy was physically transformed into looking like an old hag when she looked into the mirror and it would take hours for her to go back to her normal self. Kathy woke up with red welts all over her body and even levitated two feet over her bed. George would also hear the kid's bed slamming up and down on the floor but couldn't move or do anything because he felt an invisible force holding him down and not letting him move. Oh my God. And then there were the flies. Oh, not flies. Wait. Oh, yeah. Tell me about the flies. It was cold, remember. And this is New York. So it's in very December. Cold. Oh, it's so cold. flies should be dead. Yep. But there were huge swarms of flies in the house, and no one could figure out why and where they were coming from. And flies are kind of a sign of like demonic or well, that's why kind I, of weird was, You forces. just freaked me out. Yeah. Remember how I told you that my house... Was, there was flies everywhere in my house, and I was swatting them with that electric mm-hmm. fly swatter, and then I was vacuuming some of them up, too, and I couldn't figure out where the hell they were coming yeah. from. Does that mean there was a demon in my house? I'm never going home. I don't know. I'm never going home. I mean, they're all dead now. Right. But it was weird, because it was only for, like, a couple days. Right, and one of the kids, I forget which kid, was getting so upset about the flies, and they were swatting them and killed a bunch of them, and then they, you know, told, I think it was the mother to come and look, and then when they came back, they were all gone. <laughs> All the kids started to act out in different ways as well. Missy, their youngest daughter, had an imaginary friend, an angel named Jody, who was a demonic flying pig with glowing red eyes. Not an angel. George and Kathy also said they saw the glowing red eyes. Missy said that Jody just wanted to come inside. I bet she did. I bet she sure did. Jody. What What a name. Right? Right. What a weird, what a weird name. So George and Kathy decided to invite some friends over to see if they felt or heard any of these strange occurrences in their home as well, or if it was just them and they were, you know, getting wrapped up in their own head. But their friends heard strange noises happening upstairs and there was no one up there and they were all downstairs. This made the Lutzes feel like they weren't crazy, obviously, since others were also experiencing some of the weird things that they were too. Okay. So, the day that they left the home, January 13th, 1976, George describes that night. So, they left, so. Wait, how long were they in the home then? What is that? 28 days. That's it. All of that happened in 28 days. Yep. I'm happy for them for not trying to stick it out. Yeah. Because I get it. When you buy a house, you don't want, that's an investment. You don't want to just throw away $80,000 or whatever. I get it. But I... I was thinking that they stuck it around a lot longer. So that, good for them for getting out in 28 days. Right. Okay. So George describes the night as this. I was laying in bed and everyone else was asleep. And Kathy lifts up from the bed and starts to slide away from the bed and away from me. I feel something get into the bed with us and I'm unable to move. I hear the kids' beds continuously slamming up and down, up and down on the floor and being dragged. We hear these pigeons on the air conditioner top overhead from the master bathroom and three and the fluttering all night long. Yet there are no pigeons there the next morning or any nests or anything like that. The lights flickered. We brought the dog up to stay right by the bedroom. We tied him right to the doorknob and he's up going in circles and throwing up all night. The boys came down in the morning absolutely frightened. They were unable to get down to me, and I was unable to get up to them. Missy came in and just asked what that was all about, and Kathy just had no memory of much of it. 
the day the day we spent trying to get a hold of Father Ray and he just said all the right words. They flood the home the following morning. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't even believe they stayed the night. So I think that happened overnight and then they like left that. No, morning. I know, but I yeah. mean like I feel like the second that yeah. the body left the bed, I'd be like, I know he said he couldn't move or whatever. Right. But yeah, I Right. This is insane. Yeah. And the weird part is, like, I fully believe it because it's so fucking out there. Right. And they all had different shit happening to them. You can't right. not believe it. Right. Ooh. So what actually happened to the Lutz family while living in the home? What we do know for certain, they were only there for less than four weeks and flood the house on January 13th, 1976, and they went to Kathy's mother house to stay. They were so scared by what they experienced in the home, they couldn't stay there any longer. Right. Obviously. So, Ugh. like you said, what, I mean, why would they leave something and give up right. on their, like... Because I've heard of other people, cases we've done before where there's been, like, hauntings kind of afterwards. Um, The one I did on uh, New Year's or Christmas or something, uh, I don't remember what state it was in, but he killed his whole family. That house, yeah. people went on to think that it was um, haunted because of the weird things that were happening. In it. But they right. stay in there for months and months until finally they were like, oh, we can't take it anymore. And they left. I'm like, if if my house were haunted and I was living there for a couple days, I'd be gone. Right. I would rent it out so damn fast, but like, have a good time. I need you to deposit up front. Yeah. Right. So. Ugh. The Lutz family ended up selling their dream home that they got at such a bargain for a loss. More like a nightmare And home. sold almost everything within it at an auction from a distance, too. So they didn't even, like, really go back to the house. Oof. While the Lutz family lived in the house for less than four weeks, their experiences would make every, anyone want to go running if that really did happen, yeah. too. So, I mean, can you imagine, like... Well, yeah. And didn't people go in afterwards to try to debunk what they were saying? A little less than two months after the Lutz family left the house, a local TV crew did a segment on the house. Okay. How would you know? <laughs> they even brought in so-called ghost hunters and paranormal experts to evaluate the couple's claims. It was a, like a psychic slumber party, reporter Laurel... Laura DeDeo recalled to ABC, one person who was present was time walker Mary Pascarella. She claimed that when she went, when she was outside the home, she was repeating and praying the words, our father. But when she entered the home, she saw a group of figures standing outside the door saying our father backwards, which is very creepy, right? Yeah. yeah. They also reported feeling many of the same cold spots that the Lutz family reported. They also decided that a seance was a good idea oh, while yeah. they were there. Why not? Sure. Mary began feeling sick and she saw a black figure that formed a head and moved around the room in a threatening way while they were there as no. well. Once inside, they took many photos. They set up one of those cameras that kind of took a photo like every, you know. Yeah. I've seen those. Yep. Yep. It's kind of, um, oh gosh, why can't I think of the movie name right now? They talked about it while I was listening to this. Oh, the Blair Witch Project? Nope. Okay, got nothing for you then. But kind of. There's one famous photo that seems to show a ghost boy that is looking out from one of the bedrooms. People think this is a photo of John DeFeo. Others think it's just one of the investigators that was present that day. If you look at the photo, it's kind of small to be one of the adult investigators. He's definitely a child. Definitely so a child. everyone there that 
was there that day do agree that there was some sort of demonic force present in that house. So if you've ever heard of um, Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are very famous, um, they go into the houses, they're um, paranormal investigators. Okay. Um, they were there as well. So they said at the time the only way to fix this was to do an exorcism on the house, which the Lutz family was not interested in. I know. So after they let, left the house, the Lutz family was introduced to Jay Anson, who was an author. They did not work directly with him, but they did submit 45 hours of tape recordings to him. And then he wrote that best-selling book called The Amityville Horror, which was published in 1977. And to date, it has sold more than 11 million copies. Well. George and Kathy also both took lie detector tests and passed about their experiences. Okay. So, I mean, lie detector tests, we know, like, back then, that was, like, pretty much, a, that was a big deal. Now, we know lie detector tests are so-so. You know, you can kind of. Yeah. But, I mean. Maybe these demons were, like, publicists in their previous life. And they just like, wanted to help the make family. Some money. Make some money. Right? Yeah. So, the book was then made into a movie that was released in 1979 with James Brolin and Margaret Kidder as the leads. At the time of its release, it was the most successful independent movie in history and grossed more than $86 million in the U.S. box office revenue alone. It was then remade in 2006 with Ryan Reynolds as the lead and even made more money than before. So... I'm just intrigued about how quickly all of this went down. Oh, it went down very quick. Like, we're talking from when the DeFeo, DeFeo family moved in. Yep. All the way up to when the movie was released was only a few years, yeah. right? I mean, DeFeo, yeah, the DeFeo family murders. And murders, then the Lutz, yeah, yeah. The murders happened, mm-hmm. then the Lutz Here, family. Yeah. It was a few years, yeah. That's and crazy. it's so funny because, like, the murders were very overlooked. Sounds like it. I mean, I didn't even realize that. That's that- my whole point of it, like... It's like the murders were like just like meh, but the hauntings is what people really focused on. Which I get because it's fucked up. Right. But it, it's still like as somebody who's like into this true crime stuff, you want to know how the source. Oh, right. Which is why I was trying to figure out was it haunted and maybe that's why Butch acted out the way he did or did it start with that? And they do say too that these demonic forces look for the weak people in the family. Yeah. So... So it's very possible. Butch was a weak person. Yeah. George was a weak person. Yeah. And that's why he was kind of being focused yeah. on. So. Well. More shit. movies, more books, and more documentaries followed. People were captivated by the story and still are to, to, to this day. So, but George and Kathy Lutz divorced in the late 1980s. Kathy ended up dying of emphysema in 2004, and George died of heart disease in 2006. Nothing suspicious or spooky about those deaths. Okay. Just so they right. were able to go on and live. Wait, so he gave an ABC News um, interview the same year he died? Yeah. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, like, well, there, there was a lot. There's a lot of, um, there's more to all of it but yeah yeah um mg mgm plus amityville origin story it's a new not newer but um it's a really good look into all of this Mm -hmm. um kathy's son chris quartino he dropped the lutz name after his mom died in 2004 to try to separate from all of the craziness of this whole story described george remember that wasn't his real father yeah as a man figure that was there and kind to us, and mom liked him, and that was that. Got it. 
Chris also talks about how angry he was that over the years, the story just kept getting more and more blown out of proportion and that it all started with the original book. Chris believes that George and all the other people, including those famous real life paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren, which I talked about, really made the story more than what it was. Lorraine was actually quoted as saying after visiting the house at the time, it's close. It's the closest to hell she's ever wanted to get. She said that she felt an overwhelming sense of dread and sadness in every room of the house and that this was no ordinary haunted house. On a scale of one to ten, this was a Ted. A, a ten, said Ed. A Ted. A Ted. So this was no ordinary haunted house. On a scale of one to ten, this was a ten, said Ed Warren in the 2004 documentary Amityville Horror or Hoax. At the same time, Chris says that what happened to him and his family was not a hoax and that it did actually happen, but believes that it could have been partly due to George and him and that he was tempting um, like the forces that he didn't quite understand. So he said that George um, kind of was into the occult kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but George says that he has no knowledge of this, that that wasn't true. But people that said that knew that did know George said that George well, was, he was like into that, that after. Was he like that after the, I don't know, maybe the house. Yeah. Maybe it had something to, I mean. I so know. another thing that kind of debunks a lot of the story that the priest that was involved in the story that, you know, that I talked about that said that came, yeah, you heard this voice. Blisters and whatnot said that he had only ever talked to the family on the phone, that he never even visited the house. Oh. So that's but didn't he get blisters uh-huh. and shit? Right. So how did... Right. So why would he just bless the house over the phone? Right. So... Maybe he just is trying to... Separate himself from maybe. that? I mean... So... I maybe. Um, so, yeah. So the website Snoops has gone so far as to include that the claim that the Amityville Horror book and the films are based on true events, that that's all false... It noted that um, another thing is that Butch's lawyer, so back to Butch, so because remember, these all happened very close, like you yeah. pointed out, that William Weber actually admitted that he, along with the Lutzes, created this horror story over many bottles of wine in the hopes of gaining a new trial for his client. Why would the Lutz family do anything of the sort? Money. They got money. To try to get money out of the story and the book and to sell all of that. I don't know about that. Right. So in May 1977, the Lutz family actually filed a lawsuit against Weber, Good Housekeeping Magazine, the New York Sunday News, and the Hearst Corporation due to invasion of privacy due to articles that were published about them and that it caused them mental distress. The lawsuit was thrown out. Well, yeah, I'll say you're already past mental distress after what you allegedly went through. So So there's there's a lot of back and forth if this is, did this happen? Is it hoax? The only way that they could ever truly know for the truth is to move another family in there right after it happened funny you should say that more info on the house oh. many different families have called us a home and none of them have been haunted like the lutz family well, did they get rid of the beds that the people were murdered in? probably <laughs> maybe that was the problem right so so the whole all the families that have moved in after the lutz family have never experienced any of these hauntings really the home is now blurred out on google google maps as well so if you go to look for it you can't see this house like they blur it out i love that okay yeah um the quarter moon windows that were the evil demon eyes if you look up like the original house have also been removed and remodeled and that's all changed okay so the house also has a new address. It's no longer 112. It's 108 Ocean Avenue. Like, oh, okay. Like, sure, people yeah, can't right. find that. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. Like you can't find that right online. Right. So, um, so the next owners were the Comardis bought the property from the bank on March 18th, 1977. James Comardi, who lived in the house from 1977 to 1987, said nothing weird ever happened except for people coming by because of the book and the movie. Yeah. He told the Telegraph the family um, was constantly hounded by tourists and onlookers trying to see the murder and haunted house, so they ended up selling it 10 years later. So according to public records, Brian Wilson purchased the home from um, him from the O'Neill family on June 10th night on, oh, did I miss one? No. Right? Nope. Um, so then oh. o, the O'Neill, there the was O'Neil a, an O'Neill family bought it then. So then another family, the O'Neills bought it. And then Brian Wilson purchased the home from the O'Neill family June 10th, 1997. Okay. Wilson did a lot of revonation. Oh, boy. I'm losing my words here. Yeah, you are. Did a lot of um, work on the home, which included <laughs> new siding, which changed the color of the house. And he also did work on the interior of the home. He also improved the foundation of the boathouse. Um, he added a sunroom on the back, which was attached. So that's in the backyard. And then he also like kind of redid the landscaping and all of these additions up the valley to over a million. And then the whole house was sold in um, 2010 for 950 thousand dollars okay and then in 2017 the whole the house was then sold for um six hundred and five thousand dollars to another family so it really went down after the market yeah that was the market okay so and then um realer.com puts the estimate right now about um a little under nine hundred thousand dollars which makes sense yep Interesting. So um, that kind of concludes my dive into the Amityville Horror, the DeFeo family murders, and the Lutz family hauntings. So I got to tell you, I didn't think the house still stood. It is still there. That's crazy. And no one else has ever had an issue. So yeah. That's just nuts. No one else has ever reported an issue. Not even like on the anniversary of the deaths because like there were murders that happened in that home. No one. Gruesome murders. you You know, if people have had other issues, do you think they would report it? If I lived there, you bet I would. I'd be sitting know. there just waiting. Yep. Three fifteen I mean, rolls around. You're so looking at the clock. It looks like every ten years. So bought in seventy seven, sold in eighty seven. A lot of ten years. Yeah. Bought in eighty seven, sold in. Uh, bought in ninety seven. Two thousand ten. Yep. So yeah, almost. Be like ten, yeah, ten to you know eight seven yeah. to so, ten I mean, years. Yeah. So living there for a good amount of time. Yeah. Like about an average amount for a house, I would say. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like before you kind of move to a new house, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cool. Well, that was really good. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, that was a. It was a long one. It's a long one, but there's a lot to it. And like, like I said, there's more. There's a whole. There's more with the mob I could have gotten into. There's more with the Indian burial stuff I could have gotten into. So there's more. Yeah. So definitely be listening to the other podcasts out there about it. There's so many good ones. So, um, yeah, that was, it was good though. I didn't know a lot of that stuff, which is. Funny, because I thought I, you know what I mean? I've seen the movie, which is not my cu- cup of tea at all. And it was, I, I just thought I knew it all. So yeah. I appreciate you uh, doing that. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, so uh, we reached 10,000 downloads. Yeah, that's some other big news. Yay. So that was a big deal. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for that. Yes, For listening thank you. to us and for helping us get there. We hope the sound, we are using new sound quality equipment today, so we hope this came across well. If not, I'm not re-recording No, you are. 100% going to have to redo it. I can't. Okay. So, but uh, you guys uh, have been reaching out to us a lot, 
with case suggestions, which yep. has been great. We've got I had to do this one for October. Though. Oh, yeah. I had to kick off spooky season yeah. with the Amityville Horror. We've got a couple coming in from the UK. Uh, so definitely going to be doing those suggestions yep. that have come Thank in. Thank you for that one from the UK, too. Yeah, yeah we appreciate it. That's cool. And then uh, somebody from New York sent us another one. So we're, you're keeping us busy for sure. But we, uh, we love to hear from you. So please keep sending us messages. You can do that on our website, homeiswherethemurderis.com. You can send us an email at homeiswherethemurderis at gmail.com. Or you can reach us on Facebook or Instagram as well. So yep. we are also hoping to get this up on our YouTube channel, which... Fingers crossed. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work, but I'll see what I can do. And if it does end up there, Science. cool. If it doesn't, we'll try again on Technology. the next one. But we will also let you know how our live show goes next week. But wish us good luck because yeah. we're nervous. We'll see. So. All right. Well, everybody, have a great week. And yep. It was nice uh, having a story with you. Here, yep, yep. Stay spooky. Spooky. Yeah. Bye. Bye.